Are your kids addicted to their screens? Yeah, look, I think we have a great challenge because kids have got this wonderful little world that they can carry around in their pockets. So what we've got to do is introduce them to a better world, which is one that's outside. Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're talking about why it's so great to get kids outside and how to do it. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. What are your fondest memories of childhood? Chances are there's something playful, unstructured, maybe even outside. Linda Drummond is a science journalist whose best memories are of the outdoors. She's a mum herself and she wants children everywhere to have a connection and love of nature. Linda, welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Thanks for having me, Siobhan. It's a pleasure. Can you tell me about some of your own fondest memories of being outdoors as a kid? Oh, yeah. Look, I'm of that generation, the the rose-tinted glasses generation of when, you know, we all walked to school together, we came home, threw, threw off our school clothes and then went out until the, you know, the streetlights came on was the, the traditional thing. And I guess we see people sort of look back fondly and say, why can't kids have that? And the thing is, society's changed. So it really has. And we said, well, you know, I thought... There must be a way to do that where we can bring back the joy and the imagination and the sheer wonder of, of being outdoors, but in a way that's, you know, more in, in, in time with the times at the moment. So that's that's what made me think about this. I, I spent my life cycling and swimming. I lived across from the bush. We used to, you know, make cubby houses and tree houses all the time. And so, yeah, I think, you know, not every child is that rough and tumble adventurist, but every child has something that will be sparked by the imagination and the outdoors. So I guess the question I was going to ask you is why is it necessary to write a book like this? And you just touched on it there, that the world has changed. We're not as trusting of letting our kids outside our eyesight, but also lots of people live in urban areas. Do you think that this is what parents need is, is guidance on how to reconnect with nature for our children, but maybe also for ourselves? Oh, absolutely. And I think we love it. Like the parents love it when they get involved. There's nothing better than seeing your kid just having a whale of a time. So, you know, I, I was very conscious when I wrote the book that it's not for everyone who lives in a house on, you know, the quarter acre or whatever. So it's definitely, you know, when I talk about kitchen gardening and so on, it's things that you can plant on a windowsill. It's, you know, something gardening that you can do on verges. It's something that everyone can do no matter what their level of accessibility is. So I think we do need a bit of a reminder because we might think back, oh, what I used to do when I was a kid, but we can't do it. Like, you know, kids kids have got so many activities that are, that are planned and structured. And so this unstructured time where they just let go, how do you structure for unstructured time? <laughs> But you, you, I absolutely understand why you need to, because yeah. otherwise it just doesn't happen. This book is quite a tome. There is a lot in it. How did you work out what to include? I mean, I just noticed you brought your lovely daughter in with you. She's at university. So it's not like you've got little kids anymore. No, no. Well, I thought about it. So I'm a science journalist. And so one of the things that I often do is I talk to scientists and researchers about the work that they do. So, you know, a coastal scientist and every single one that I talk to always has those moments when as a child, 
that something set them off, that they just went, oh, how cool is this? And so I thought, all right, let's think about it. And I went through, I went through my childhood and I went through my daughter's childhood. She's a very different child to me. Like she was, you know, a much, a much quieter one who would sit there and look at the rainbows and look at the clouds and we do little activities for, you know, summer solstice and all the rest of it. And, um, yeah, and I just, so I, it's meant to be almost like a smorgasbord for, you know, every kid will find something in this book that they'll be interested in learning more about. As you mentioned there, you talk to a lot of scientists, you've included that kind of research in this book. What is meant by nature connection and why is it so important for kids? Yeah, well, I think that was the main thing that I discovered as well. And I know certainly I've spoken to, you know, scientists who say that myopia is on the rise because we're just looking at screens too much, for example. So, you know, more people are becoming short-sighted and it's because of the way that we look at screens. And you know yourself that some days you'll have a day when you think, I haven't been outside. I haven't looked at the sun. I haven't got the wind on my face. And it's the same with kids, you know, that everyone's just running around so much. So certainly, you know, I spoke with experts. So I spoke with a psychologist, for example, who in his practice, he works with gardens and he works with the outdoors and can just see the benefits of not only doing the psychology, but also actually getting people to get their hands, you know, touching something natural just makes things work a bit better. It's funny when you say that, because I was just thinking, yeah, when do my kids get outside? Particularly now we're talking at, in winter. So we're often sort of keeping them away from the elements, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've, we've just gone through a period of intense torrential rain for weeks and weeks on end. And, and that's a challenge as well, because often, you know, we'll, we'll hunker down inside and certainly for t- safety's sake, sometimes it's essential, but other times it's like, oh, maybe, you know what, we should put on some gumboots and we should put on a raincoat, grab an umbrella and take them outside Worst case scenario, if we don't have them, that's what washing machines and showers are for. You know, let, <laughs> let them get out there, splash around in the puddles and let them see what's happening. It's like, what are the changes that are happening around us? How How is our yard looking different from before? How's the river looking different? What's happening at the beach? Like all of those kind of things. It's like kids have got so many questions. Like kids are just endless sources of questions. Why not take them outside and they can answer some of them themselves by, by looking at things. You mentioned that you might have celebrated the summer solstice with your daughter. And I know in the book, there is a whole chapter on seasons. Can you talk to me a bit about that? Because that sounds like a really beautiful ritual. And we often say that our lives don't have enough ritual in them anymore. And I think it's something as well, like, you know, of course, in the book as well, I look and say, we probably shouldn't even have four seasons in Australia because we don't have four no, seasons. No, we don't. <laughs> but, but we should think about how things are changing. Like even now, it's getting lighter. So, you know, getting up in the morning and it's getting lighter. So just talking to, you know, your kids and just saying, what's happening? Look at, look at the garden. Like in winter, for example, you think nothing's happening in the garden. So much is happening in the garden in winter. Like it's all just about to happen. So what's happening? And getting them to sort of think about that and even just little rituals like, folding away your winter clothes and giving them a good wash and and folding them up and bringing out your new clothes and going into the fruit and veggie shop and going, oh, what's new? What? Oh, look, we've got mandarins here at the moment. Oh, that's great. That's because, you know, it's winter. That's what we've got in winter. And then what's happening in spring and what's happening in summer? Getting to sort of pay attention of the cycle of life and how it impacts on it, I think it's a really good idea. Well, to me, it sort of 
reflects this idea of accepting that that there is life, birth, regrowth, and death. You know, we we don't have that as a natural part of our lives anymore. So that seems like a really natural and easy way perhaps to introduce those ideas to kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, and I get them to to go out as well. I love getting kids, you know, to to actually go and see look at the underside of leaves and see when you can see some little eggs forming and it's like what are those eggs? How what sort of shape are they in? Are they are they rounder eggs or are they sort of in a little line or are they in random spots? And then just keep going out and just checking until eventually they'll hatch and you'll see what's on that shrub and it's like, oh my goodness, it's like a ladybug or it's a, you know, damselfly. Like there are so many different things that getting them to pay attention. And the thing is, kids always pay attention. You think about when you go out for a walk with a child and, you know, in an ideal world, we just let them go at their pace, but we're not going to come on, hurry up. What are you doing? Don't pick that up. You know, what are you looking at? (laughs) But the thing is, if we let them go, we just go, all right, let's just do it at your pace. You walk at your pace. You look, look down low. You're looking at something that we don't normally see. Yeah, you're stopping, you're picking things up. My daughter used to pick up rocks all the time, pop them in a pocket. I always had to check the pockets before washing. And um, <laughs> yeah, she just loved it. She just went and she'd just find a rock that she liked and she'd pick it up. She didn't necessarily do anything with it, but it was just nice that she sort of would just go, that's, that's nice. I like that. Part of nature that she's bringing home. Yeah. Is nature deficit disorder the antithesis of nature connection. Is that a really obvious statement? Well, yeah, I think it is. And I think, I think as adults, we've got it as well. Like I think we've become disconnected, you know, with nature. How how many times, when was the last time that you took off your shoes and you went and you stood out in the soil and you felt, you know, you spread your toes and you sort of got to feel the grass between your toes and you felt the warmth of it. I love there's a whole thing about when is the right time to plant tomatoes. It's like when the ground is warm on your bare bottom. (laughs) So, you know, which not so great for the neighbours, but, you know, it's quite interesting. It's like, you know, you're actually connecting with the earth and you're thinking, but we sort of forget about it. And I think because we forget about it, it's sort of easy to, you know, perhaps do some things that aren't so environmentally great, but the more that we connect with it, better for us, better for the planet. So is there research that supports um, nature connection as being good for wellbeing? Oh, plenty of it. Yeah, it's an emerging field and it's a difficult field as well because it's actually usually qualitative research where people are just reporting back. But certainly I spoke with an occupational therapist for the book and she deals with a lot of children with autism spectrum. And she says almost every part of her session involves getting outside. Like She'll meet them for the session. Like, Let's go out by the creek and she'll take them out there and just get in the start. And she can just see it. She can just see them relax into themselves. She said it's just completely different outlook from when they're sitting inside yeah. in, in an office. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Making me want to go outside now. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that your daughter was fairly quiet compared to yourself as yep. a child and that she liked to watch the clouds and she liked to pick up rocks. Was there anything else that you remember from her childhood that was a favourite thing of hers? Uh, well, certainly we live near the beach. So, you know, she loved to explore the rock pools. So I think that's a really good one. Like good, good experience for going to art galleries really, like look, but don't touch, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah, she used to love expo- exploring that and climbing and all the rest of it. So yeah, I think 
you've got to just be led by them and you can't think of what you love to do. Because I think that's that's a hard thing as well as parents like, oh, I don't know, what are they going to do? It's like, oh, well, I used to love doing this. And then if they don't, it's kind of hard because it feels like a bit of a rejection of what you do as well. So, yeah, so I just think it's a matter of just really letting yourself be led. And, yeah, certainly art projects as well and nature tables and different things like that, they're a really good way of just, as soon as you find out what they like, you can just roll with it and just build on it and just keep on doing it time after time. Did you change anything about the way you live your own life after researching and writing this book? Oh, so much. I have discovered, because I've never been able to meditate. I cannot calm myself down. I can't chill. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and I've tried. I've, you know, had experts deal with me. And I realised that, you know, the chapter I wrote about cloud spotting. And so, you know, I thought there's all these different types of clouds and it's like, and it's like this constantly changing canvas as well. And so to take a break from the book, I'd go outside and I'd lay on the grass and I'd just look up and watch the clouds. And I'd realise that I was calming myself and I was like, oh, I'm meditating. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so it's something that, yeah, I've, I've done that. There was one time when I was so excited by spotting a cloud formation that I got, you know the opposite of meditation, really. Um, I saw what are called Kelvin Helmholtz clouds and they're like little, like little waves, like little capped waves, like this little formation. And they don't look like they're real. Like they're just so extraordinary. Remember the, when I saw one of those, like, oh, it's a Kelvin Helmholtz. Um, but yeah, so I've sort of done that. Great at spotting birds now. Could have sworn I only had about four or five different ones in my yard. So many more. So yeah, and I'm definitely thinking now about what I'm planting and not doing as much tidying in the garden as well. It's like, you know, sometimes it's like you do that pruning and it's like, well, I'll put them down there for the lizards. Like I'll just leave some cuttings there for the lizards to hide in and make a little home and yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Linda, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. That's Linda Drummond. She's a science journalist and author of How to Raise Outdoor Kids. It is available now, so I'll put links to where you can get a copy of the book in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.